and welcome to the Capacity Creator Podcast. I'm Melanie Sadka. In each episode, you'll hear about the many successes, struggles, and advice on how to respect your capacity. You can subscribe at Melanie Sadka, like vodka with an S.com, or come see me on Instagram. Or you can visit my Facebook page called Capacity Creator. So happy you're back. Thanks for joining me because this episode we are talking to Laura Cole and she speaks about feeling compelled to solve other people's problems and how that could tax our capacity. We can also learn from Laura because she shares her tips and tricks on managing capacity when we're faced with a conflict or a difficult situation. We also chat about the busyness of our lives and parenting and how we divide our capacity with discernment. Hello, everybody. Welcome to season two of Capacity Creator Podcast. Thrilled to have you back to join us. We have an excellent season lined up with so many fantastic guests And my first one is in studio right now. So let me introduce Laura Cole. She is the co-founder of Your Latitude, an organization coach and mediator, an international keynote speaker. This is my favorite title. You ready for this? Intentional human. Absolutely beautiful. And a business professor at Mohawk College, a collaborator, and a really good friend of mine. Welcome, Laura. Thanks, Melanie. So glad to be here on season two. Yes, yes. Congratulations on your seasons. Oh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. This is this has been so much fun. Like more fun than I could have ever imagined. I've had so much fun with you already. We haven't even started yet this morning. So (laughs) (laughs) like if this is what this is gonna feel like, have me back again for a second one. Amazing. We definitely (laughs) will, for sure. Yeah. So you're aware of what I what I talk yeah. about and, and what I'm researching and, and passionate about, and it's all about capacity. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right in if you sure. want. So I, have a, I have a question for you. I'm ready. All right. Well, some people know actually that Laura and I uh, were our, were business partners. So we'll probably get into that a little bit later on today mm-hmm. um, in terms of how our trajectories you know, started individually, how they came together, and now where we are yeah. today, which yeah. is, uh, which could be a, a pretty cool story to talk about in a little bit. Well, I think so. And and now that you've actually mentioned that in this space, I see capacity actually written all over that story. Oh, So I think there, yeah, maybe there is a, a, a story hidden in there somewhere we haven't actually teased out yet. For sure. About um, how capacity actually brought us together and then how it has created our relationship, what it looks like now. So I I'd say we go right into that right I don't now. Know. Let's let's not let, let's no? wait. Let's okay. Go. All right. All right. Let's get warmed it's up. It's still teasing. It's it still teasing in my mind. I haven't. Uh, it just started percolating. So okay, we'll come back to it. Okay, sounds good. And this is what Laura and I love to do: is let things percolate, <laughs> and then we create magic. Yes. yes every we time. Do. Every time. Okay. So I'm super curious about mm-hmm. personal and professional capacity, and mediation is something you specialize in. Yes. Um, so if anybody out there needs a mediator, this is your woman. Uh, she she is magic. So can you share with the listeners, um, mm-hmm. when you're in a mediation situation, how do you know how much to stretch people to resolve? Mm-hmm. It's, it was That's such a great question. And um, it's something uh, I think every mediator has on their mind when you when you're welcomed into a space like that and you're you're given the the honor of of being invited into inside someone's conflict it's a a very sacred place to be and it's something that i think every mediator has to take uh, very seriously 
um, and the question becomes, what is your role? And that's it's a personal question in mediation. What's your role? But then there's also the ethical side of it. There's a very specific set of guidelines uh, what makes a mediator's role and what we actually are there for. Um, I can tell you that when I first started, um, I think I gave myself too much responsibility to actually resolve the conflicts. I felt that um, because I was entering the space as, quote unquote, the expert, the mediator expert, um, I took a lot of responsibility on my shoulders that I then had to resolve this conflict. And in terms of mental capacity, you know, picture yourself walking into a space and you've given yourself that title. Yes. I am the expert. I have to solve this this will only be successful if I solve it. And I can tell you, any anybody out there, any other mediators listening to this, they I'm sure they appreciate that as when you first start, that's where it happens. Uh, but then how quickly you have to let that go. And I could, if I can just interrupt for a second, because mm-hmm. I think that those who are not mediators out there, we're, we all have some sort of meteor, mediator type, uh, I guess, not personalities, but sure. tendencies. Tendencies to solve other people's problems. Yes. 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 So I can just see, again, our stretching our capacity to want to solve everybody's problems. Oh, that makes so much sense. Absolutely. We all have that, don't we? When friends, sometimes when friends want to just complain or they just want to release and yeah. then immediately inside our minds, we're thinking, I need to make this better for them. I need to solve this for them. And yes. um, so that's a lot of... It, it's a lot of brain power that you're then using for the wrong reason. Yeah. So in mediation, um, I, I had to quickly kind of discard that um, that hat or that persona that I thought I was supposed to be. I need to solve this. And and then I started looking at my um, the you know the participants, the the clients as experts in their own lives. Ah, yes. And that mediation was there um, more as a atmosphere as opposed to a tool. So I became my job became creating a space where the participants could solve their own problems. Yes, trusting that they had yes. the answers. Yes. And um, so I actually then went in and uh, specialized and got uh, certified in solution-focused mediation. And that completely changes the scope of the relationships in the room. Um, and then my capacity completely changed. I sure. was then able to look at the space differently, bring a different set of dialogue to the room, um, you know, and enjoy the environment in a different way because my, my goal changed. Sure. So then my capacity changed and um, the results yeah, have I can changed. imagine. Yeah, it's been fun. So share with our listeners a couple of solution-based or mm. solution-focused questions that people can use in their everyday oh, wow. lives? That's such a great, great question. So typically, typically when you think of, um, let's, let's think of a, a counseling session. So you walk into a room and you sit down and, uh, you know, the typical first question from a counselor is usually, so what brought you here today? <laughs> right. Doesn't that sound yes, familiar? Yes, exactly. Okay. It. So Melanie, when I ask you that question, what brought you here today? What are you immediately drawn to think about? Are, are you drawn to think about 
the problem that brought you here and what you need to fix? Is that what you're no. first, what are you thinking <laughs> Not about? at all. What brought me here is that I'm just pissed off. Yeah. Right? Like, I, there's a lot that, that's going on, I guess, and uh, I don't know where to start. And then I, I can see myself getting into my own head. That's right. So I'm stuck. That's right. So you've probably pushed me into a, a part of my brain that's going to be difficult to take me out of. Yes. And that is not intentional, but it seems to be the, um, the opener question. And, and back before I learned about solution focus, that did seem to be the way that people thought they were actually honoring you sure. by saying, I'm just going to open this space and ask you, what brought you here today? But unfortunately, what brought you here today is something unpleasant, right. more than likely. Yes. And so then that puts you into that space. And as you've just described, it's very hard to get out of that space. And then we actually spend the first whole session with you in that space. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Yeah, waste of money, waste of time. So in honoring capacity, sure. Um, solution focus doesn't say what brought you here. So this is the difference. So here's here's how I would open a solution focused coaching session. Okay. So instead of saying to you what brought you here, I would say to you, so Melanie, I'm you know, I'm sure you have a really great reason why you've come and and, and uh, met with me today. Um, tell me, let's say today turned out to be really successful. It, it, it was a great conversation. How will you know that tomorrow? Whoa. <laughs> that just flips it. Completely Com- flips it. Yeah, it, com- it shifts the mindset. Mm-hmm. It redirects to future desired outcomes. Oh my gosh, Melanie, that's exactly what it's called. Okay, is it? <laughs> It's called preferred futures. Oh, beautiful. I'm thinking, okay, can I do this with my children? Yes, you can. Okay. Melanie, I did it with Eden. Oh, tell us. Tell us how this okay, goes. Okay, this was such a great story. So um, my daughter is seven. She just finished grade one. And at the very end of June last year, at the end of the um, the school year, all the kids were given the, the notices about who their teacher was going to be in September. So she comes home really upset. Mom, my teacher is Madame so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means, this look on your face. I'm not sure how they connect. And she's like, Mom, she's so mean. She's really mean. I can't believe I have Madame so-and-so. She's really mean. And uh, so there's a couple ways you could go with that as a parent, sure. right? Our instinct is to make that better. Right. And so our instinct is to say, oh, I'm sure she's not mean. Right. Don't you get that feeling? Yes. You want to say that? Yes. And then solution focused would say, okay, well, then what have I just done? I have just devaluated or devalued, excuse me, her, her opinion. Yes. I've also, depending on her personality style, forced her into defensive mode. Sure. So now she's going to give me all the reasons why Madame so-and-so is actually mean. Right. So, so there is the first session spent yes, <laughs> right in that mindset. Exactly. You've just pushed them into that. Exactly. So instead yes. it's, okay. So I said to her, yes, well, perhaps she is. Maybe she is mean. I, I have no, I don't know. What else might she be? Ah, awesome. And how would you know? Oh my gosh. Oh, See? what would you look for? So then Eden thinks my phone is magic. So I pulled out my phone and I did a couple swoop swoops on the screen. And I said, okay, yeah, so it's possible that Madame so-and-so is mean. It also says here that she's funny. Mm. And Eden's like, oh. And I said, 
because she had she had one week left of school. So I said to her, I wonder what you would notice about Madame so and so tomorrow at right. school if she was actually funny. Right. What would you notice? Oh, I might notice this. I might notice that. I'm like, yeah, I can't. I guess we don't know until you see it. So tomorrow, Eden, when you get home from school, I'm going to ask you what you noticed. So she got home. She didn't even wait for me to ask her. She jumped in. Mom, you she were right. excited to tell She's you. She's funny. And here's all the reasons why. And I said, well, I think all your friends should know about this. I think that's your next next step. So, um, so yeah, you can use it with your kids all the time. It's just redirecting the conversation and that need inside of us to make things better for other people. Right. We can still honor that. But shifting your role, you are not the expert in their life. So right. you don't have the solution as to what they need to feel better. Trust that they do. Yes. And that by um, orienting them to that preferred future, they can start describing it for themselves. I love that. Yeah. And it's funny because if we would have known that earlier on in life, oh, right? heavens. Like Eden is so lucky and fortunate <laughs> that you're instilling this so young because mm-hmm. you hope that she would grow up with that type of mindset and, and, and perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but for adults, yeah, you know, and I'm going to post these questions, these power questions that you have mm-hmm. shared with us. Uh, for the listeners so that they can, you know, they can write them down and leverage them too. Yeah. For sure. Great. That's fantastic. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because we did talk a little bit about personality. Depending on what personality style you are, that could influence, again, how you walk into a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an introvert, mm-hmm. specifically an INTJ. Yes. How do you respect your capacity as a speaker, as a mediator? Because you're extroverting yes. in this, you know, as a professor, you're extroverting all the time. And... Um, how do you recharge? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great question because I think um, a lot of introverts might uh, perhaps not understand how they can recharge and so maybe not put themselves in those positions where they would need to extrovert. And what I've discovered over the years is that I've actually learned how to extrovert. Right. And so while I'm in the space that requires me to extrovert, I am actually, quote unquote, extroverting. So it's not that my introvert is then being attacked because I've tucked her away safely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I've learned how to use energy okay. in the room. Um, and so, yes, when I'm done, uh, I do need some quiet time to, to recharge. But what I've discovered um, is to is to really tap into that extroverted piece because we all have part of each. So when you do the the Myers-Briggs, I think I'm like an 86% introvert. So I'm extreme. I'm at the top. Right. Like I am by default natural uh, preferences to introvert. Um, but there's a, there's a small piece that says it's okay if you need to extrovert and here's how you can do it. Um, And then what I've discovered, it's like everything else. It's like people say, you know, they hate public speaking or they can't, they don't like to give presentations. It's a skill set. For sure. And you can learn it. Yes. So is extroverting. Yes. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Because you do it well. And I know that um, when we taught together and we had the same cohort of students, Mm -hmm. we would go into personality styles and specifically that dichotomy of extroverted and introverted. And students would be shocked. Yes, they are. That you are actually introverted. Yeah. Yeah. 
they would not be shocked that I was an extrovert <laughs> because I like the gift of gab. But I had an interesting conversation this weekend with somebody about um, recharging mm-hmm. um, and she was an introvert and she's a, a family physician. So again, with people all day, solving problems, yeah. asking questions. And she says, and I'm an extrovert, like I just mentioned, and she says, Melanie, you know, are you able to just sit? And we were by the ocean. And she said, are you able just to sit out and look out the window um, for a long period of time and, and just just sit and be. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, for like 10 minutes. And she says, no, like for longer than that. And I said, no, 10 minutes is pretty much my max. Yeah. And then I need to go and do something or find people. And I wondered, and she says, well, it sounds like you don't have much downtime. I said, well, I might not need as much downtime yeah. as an introvert or as somebody else of a similar personality style. 10 minutes might be all that I need. Or your downtime just looks different. Sure. Right? Yeah. You, I'm sure you do have downtime. It just doesn't look like what an introvert would think downtime right. looks like. Right. <laughs> because I always think about when you and I do presentations together and we facilitate together, yeah. you know, after it, you know, we have this like, oh, yeah. you know, we just, the adrenaline drops yeah. and we need to recharge. And, you know, sometimes recharging for me would be like, I'm going to go talk to somebody and ask mm-hmm. questions and see how they're feeling. And you're like, I'm going to go up to my room. Mm-hmm. And just decompress. So you're right. It does look very different. Yeah. Which is pretty fascinating. It is. In terms of just respecting that capacity and that recharging piece. Well, when we use the term downtime. Right. It has a connotation to it. We think, you know, we're picturing something. Yes. Um, or we use the word recharge for the for an extrovert ah, as well. So yes. which one, right, we, we picture things when we say these words. Yes. Um, but we're really all saying the same thing. No matter where you get your energy, whether it's on the outside or the inside, at some point you're going to have to get more of it. Exactly. And how do you do that? For sure. It's funny you say that because, yeah, you picture recharge. I picture a plug going into mm-hmm. an outlet, mm-hmm. which could mean, you know, for me, sitting with people yeah. and chatting, yeah. right, and getting that energy. But, um, you know, and speaking about children and, and, our, and our kids, I want to move to that for a little bit too because we are both professionals mm-hmm. with um, with littles at home <laughs> that we love to pieces. And it's always a conversation um, with other moms and sometimes dads too, depending, that, you know, how do you manage being so busy and honoring that piece to be a mom mm-hmm. without minimal guilt? Like how do you, you know, some people just can't believe. Some like, how, how you're so busy. How do you do yeah, it? And yeah. what about your kids? So I'd be curious and you know, for you to share with our listeners, mm-hmm. what is it that, uh, how do you manage that? Yeah. And you know, it's something um, I always, even as a young person, I always pictured myself in some kind of a professional capacity. I always knew that I would push and and go somewhere and, and do something. And so for me, it's, it's honoring that uh, inside passion and that I then offer that to my daughter. So if I wasn't doing this, I wouldn't be my true self. And and then I wouldn't be that authentic mother who I always thought I would be for her. So um, how do I how do I manage it? I I manage it by when I'm with her, I'm with her. Yes. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, And uh, weekends are sacred. And so she and I Sundays are are very important and and uh, we do that and uh, my husband he right from the very beginning made sure uh, dinners are family dinners nice. and so he makes sure we we sit down at a table for dinner together and phones are put away um, so important. that's something that he brought 
to to the conversation that yes. was really important. And so, um, you know, and it's it's when you have your own business and you're able to be flexible, you you do you 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 flex throughout the day. And so, sure. um, you know, when I can pick her up from the bus. Yeah. I I am full on mum. Yes. And then when she goes to bed, if I get back onto the computer, then I switch those gears and um but it's very fluid. Yes. Right? And I I wonder Melanie like you're you're the same and and so when people kind of witness that and watch that and say how do they do it? Um you know, come on in for a minute yes. and, and see and how observe, we do it. We sure. it's it's fluid, it's natural, it's um it's wonderful. It is. And one strategy that I have paid more attention to comes from the book One Thing. And it's mm-hmm. called Counterbalance. Mm-hmm. And it's not about work-life balance. And everybody's trying to seek this work-life balance, yeah. which doesn't exist because it's so unique for everybody. And I think it's so ill-defined for many. And the counterbalance strategy is about, you know, you're going to work and you're going to work a lot and you're going to have heavier periods of, of time where you're just away. Yeah. But when you know that's going to happen, you time chunk when you get home and when that project is over or when you have that time, it's all about family, just like you said, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's no work mm-hmm. or there's minimal work and you're just present. And I think that counterbalance, and you set that expectation with the family. And I've always been open with my kids and, and my husband's very supportive as well in terms of this is how I work. Yeah. This is how I'm at home. Yes. And I think it's, you know, it's not new to the kids. And yes, I miss them. Yes, they miss me. Mm-hmm. But we also know that when this heavy work period is over, Mom's yes. going to be home a hundred percent. Exactly. So it's, it's been interesting to pay attention to that and have that conversation with my kids as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the neat things that happened this year was, um, I've always worked my schedule around picking Eden up from the bus. Yes. That has been the number one important thing to me, um, is to be home with her after school. So I've always worked my schedule around yes. that. So, but this year I was unable, unable to do that. And so I did get, um, a a girl in the neighborhood to pick Eden up off the bus. And that's actually been fabulous because it's, she's now getting this independence and she's getting the trust and, and she's now, uh, you know, branching out into this new space herself where back in the day, that's what we all did. For <laughs> we sure. all walked home on our own. And, yes. and so um, that's been kind of neat to see how, how that has actually allowed a part of Eden's experience to, to develop and grow. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And and just the saying no mm-hmm. to those things early on in Eden's life so that you could say yes to being there at the bus. Like that is just a decision-making system that you put in place that's yes. non-negotiable. Yes. And I love that. And, it, you know, it's not everybody can say they have a yes. system like that. I actually Fantastic. recently turned down um, another volunteer opportunity that I was involved in last year, and it, it brought me a lot of joy, and I really loved doing it. Uh, and I, I was asked to renew, and I actually said, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't. And the coordinator um, wrote me back, and she said, I love how you just set those boundaries. We're going to miss you, but I am so grateful you said no. Can you teach me how to do that? Yes. <laughs> See, it's yeah. just people will yeah respect you a lot more when you when you are clear about your boundaries. Yes. And they know where you stand. So speaking of boundaries, yeah. I'm going to respect the time that, we, uh, that we've spent together oh, and your great. time and the listeners' time. And it's, it's awesome. I love talking to you. I'm so glad we get to do this and share Absolutely. like a peek into our world. It's a lot of fun. For those who know us. Mm-hmm. So thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you. Thanks for you. having me. Appreciate Absolutely. you too. Okay. We're done. That's a wrap. Oh, shoot. Wait, it's not a wrap. 
Um, I forgot one quick thing. Um, sorry, if we can just re-record this little piece. It's just where can we find? Just go on, like, okay, where can we find? Um, oh yeah, Laura. Right. Yeah. So if they want to get in touch with her, so I'm gonna ask you that question. So okay, okay, perfect. Sure. Okay. Because I left it, I left a space, right? Okay. Um, all right. So, Laura, thanks again for being here. It's awesome to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. And if people want to reach out and they want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Laura Cole. And uh, the website for uh, Your Latitude is www.yourlatitude.com. Amazing. Check her out. She's a, a pretty fantastic uh, individual. Thanks again, Laura. Thank you, Melanie. Capacity Creator is produced by me, Melanie Sadka, and recorded by the amazing team at Hive Studios in Hamilton, Ontario. For more information on Capacity Creator, please visit capacitycreator.com or check out the Facebook page. 